All right. Welcome. Good evening. Tonight, um, the title of the message is called Sharp Sticks for Stubborn Animals. And if you think I'm talking about you, well, there may be a conscience issue. No, but Sharp Sticks for Stubborn Animals. And we're going to be reading Acts chapter 9. And we're not going to necessarily get through um, this entire 19 verses today, but we're going to go ahead and at least read through them. So join me in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It says, And then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, or Ananias, and said to him, "The Lord said in a vision, uh, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias." And he said, "Here I am, Lord." So the Lord said to him, "Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him." so that he might receive his sight. <clears throat> then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many, or from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So, such an amazing story of Saul um, <laughs> being an enemy of God and yet running into him on, this, on his way to, to persecute his people. And as the Lord speaks to him, he's blinded, he's led into a city, and Jesus sends another man in to lay his hands on him and to heal him and to tell him that he's going to be useful for his kingdom. 
<coughs> Amazing story. You know, I wonder, have any of you ever seen somebody out in public? You've known someone maybe in your family or, or a friend of a friend, and you just know that guy is so far away from Christ. There ain't no way. There ain't no way he's coming to Jesus. Someone so far from God, honestly, you don't even pray for the guy. Or maybe you did once or twice, and then you just, you just quit wasting your time. You're like, there's no way, right? You ever met someone who hates God so much that they look for a religious person to start arguments with? They just, they hate God, right? And you see these people, and you probably think to yourself, not that one, Jesus. I ain't talking to that guy. He's just spitting your face, right? And seemingly, there's this, our, this world is full of these people, right? People who hate Jesus. People who, by every aspect of their life, are living as far from the ways of God as possible. And in fact, I think here in Acts chapter 9, we have a perfect example of a man like this. This man, Saul, right, who was well-educated, very well-educated, who was religious even. He loved to worship God. He loved, I'm sure, to be in the temple, to be around the other religious people, to talk about the law, right? And we have a man who is self-righteous, so self-righteous, in fact, that he has a hunger and thirst to destroy the church of Christ and anyone called by his name. And I'll tell you what, people like this, educated, religious, self-righteous people, are harder to reach with the gospel than people who have never heard the name of Jesus. It's the truth. They're, hard, they're the hardest people to talk to. And so we have a man here who's probably the hardest person you could ever approach about Christ. In fact, if you did, he'd say, great, I have this letter. Let me handcuff you. He was on the road to Damascus because he had such a zeal that he went to the Pharisees, the other Pharisees, and he, um, he got permission, he got legal permission to go to Damascus to find Christians, to bind them in chains, and to come back to Jerusalem to imprison them. That is how much he hated the gospel. And yet it's interesting. We see that as he starts walking, it says in chapter 9, verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Boom, just like that. Now, this is crazy. He says, it says, as Saul is still breathing threats and murder. This is the same guy who, when Stephen began to declare the gospel to the council, this is Saul who held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen to death who began and is now continuing the persecution in Jerusalem. The whole reason Philip went down to Samaria in the first place was because of this persecution, right? 
And it says, as he's still breathing threats and murder against the disciple, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Now listen to this. He says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And we, we know from just a few verses later when he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now that's... That's pretty interesting. Doesn't, he doesn't say my church. He doesn't say you're persecuting my people. He says you are persecuting me. Because in Christ, we are all one body with him. And we become the image. We become the hands and the feet. We become the mouth of Jesus Christ. And he is here with us. He's among his people. He is established in his people. He works through his people, right? I don't think there's another way I can say that. He's here. Okay? And he says, why are you persecuting me? And then look, it says this. He says to Saul, it is hard for you to kick against the goats. Does anybody know what that means? Anybody know what a goat is? So, so there's a little bit of a, of a hint in the message, a sharp stick for stubborn animals, right? So a goad, what they would have as they were steering these oxen, right, they'd have this, well, it was a sharp stick. And if the animal wasn't cooperating, they'd poke it, and they'd get it to move one way or the other. They'd poke it, and they'd get him to, to um, you know, go faster. And many times the ox would be kicking back against him because he doesn't like what he's doing. But as he kicks back, you know what happens? He gets poked again. And Jesus says, it's hard for you, Paul, you Saul, to kick against the goads. What does that tell you? What should that tell us about Saul and what's going on with Saul? You see, Saul knows something here. In fact, let's say Saul knows a couple things. With all his anger, with all his hatred, with however far you might think he is from Christ, he knows there's a living God. And he knows as he hears the gospel of Christ that there has to be some truth to it because Christ himself is pricking his heart. And he's feeling the conviction. And he's feeling probably doubts and questions. We don't know. We're not told, right? They don't give us a whole map of Paul's brain. But the thing is, is that Paul knows. Paul knows. You know, in Romans 1, it tells us that actually not just Saul, I'm sorry, I keep saying Saul and Paul, this, this Saul from Tarsus later becomes Paul the Apostle, who wrote most of the New Testament, just in case any of you are not aware. In Romans 1, God actually tells us that everyone, every person on this earth, has witness of God. In fact, in Romans 1.20, it says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, and even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And so just like Saul, we all have a pricking of our heart 
And we know that there is a God there. But, there, but people like Saul, they, rather than running towards it, because I don't know about y'all, but I didn't run towards it. Right? They run away from it. Or people like Saul, they attack it. We have evolutionists, right? And the whole, this whole deal about evolution is really an attack on God. It's really an, a, an attack on one thing. It's all about one word, origins, okay? One word. Because we know when you look at the stars, when you look at the heavens, when you look at all these things that are, are made, we know somewhere in here that someone had to make this, that it did not happen by accident. You know. So that means that the origin of that is God. And evolution and all this scientific blah, blah, blah today is an attack on that origin, an attempt to say, no, something other than God could have been there. Why are they so fervent in making up these things? Why are they so fervent in coming against the church? Because it's hard to kick against the goads. That's why. So he tells Paul this, or Saul, I gotta stop doing that. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why? You know, it's hard to kick against the goads. And it's interesting. He cries out, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And it says, so he, verse 6, trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. It's amazing to me that I, I don't want to say everywhere, but pretty much everywhere in the scripture, when someone is confronted face to face with the Lord, you know what the question usually comes out being? What do you want me to do? <laughs> Just, what, do, what are we doing here? Whatever you say. Right? And here's Saul, a man who was so angry at God. But notice this. As soon as he's face to face with the living word, as soon as the, the words of Jesus penetrate his heart, he's a different man. He's on his knees and he's saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, it's, it's interesting. You know, we, could, we can go back to the, the end of chapter 8 and we can look at the eunuch, Right? And you might look at the eunuch and you might look at Paul or Saul at the moment. And you might say, well, you know, pretty big difference there, right? It's pretty obvious Jesus had to show up to Saul himself because he was so far. There's no way someone else would have reached him. There's no way anybody else could have talked to that guy, right? There's no way the gospel itself could have changed that man's heart. And it's easy to look at the eunuch and say, I mean, look at him. He was in a chariot. He was reading Isaiah. I mean, he was ready. And it'd be easy to make that distinction. There's one problem, though, with, this, with, with looking at things like this. Let me ask you something. Who was farther from God, the eunuch or Saul? Neither. 
The eunuch was saved. Why? Because God sent Philip and told Philip, overtake the chariot. And Philip explained to him Jesus from the scriptures. And because of that, the eunuch gave his life to Christ. Now, what if Philip had never gone to that chariot? That eunuch would have went back to Ethiopia, and he would have been just as much as a lost sinner waiting for destruction in hell as much as Saul would have been if Jesus would not have stepped up in front of him. Do you realize that? Do you realize it was not the eunuch's readiness and it was not Saul's hatred towards God that meant anything? But in both cases, it was that God pursued these men. And God sent forth his word, rather through Philip or through Christ himself. And he called these men into salvation. The eunuch got saved because God sent Philip and said, go to this man. And he went. And when the message was heard, it was received. Paul, Saul, however far from God he might look compared to the eunuch, was saved in the exact same way. Because Christ went to him and he spoke his words. And he called Saul out. I want you to notice in verse, let's see, let's see, let's see, somewhere around here. Notice this in verse 13. Then Ananias, he answers and he says, Lord, whoa, 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 man. God had just told, God just told Ananias, hey, man, I need you to go to this house and I need you to find Saul from, Tar from Tarsus there. And uh, I want you to go put your hands on him and make him receive his sight. And Ananias is like, uh, the Saul that's killing Christians? That Saul? Uh, the Saul that wants to kill me because I'm a Christian? That Saul? You, you want me to go there? <laughs> Verse 13 says, Ananias answered and said, Lord, I've heard... From many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, notice this, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now we got to get a grasp on this for, for our own sakes, right? Like I said, Saul was not necessarily any farther from Christ than the eunuch, and he wasn't any farther from Christ than you were before the gospel came to you. No farther. And so the problem is, is a lot of times we look at people and we, we put the weight of someone else's salvation and we weigh the chances of this person being saved on our ability to share the gospel. It's the truth. If it wasn't the truth, you'd all be out there sharing the gospel to everybody you saw. 
you look at someone and you determine rather or not it's scary, too scary to speak to this person. And we've got to understand something, right? It was not our goodness that led us to God. It was not our reaching up for Christ that somehow gained us righteousness. That it was actually God's reaching down to us. And that it was Christ's work on the cross for us. And it was Christ's calling to us that gave us the faith and the sight to see. Right? And to be called into his kingdom. I want you to to notice this in in Romans 10, 17. It says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is something most of you are probably familiar with, right? We know that we're saved not by works, but through faith. But then it says in Hebrews 12, 2, that Jesus is actually the author and the finisher of our faith. The author and the... That means that whatever faith you have isn't even your own. And that for anyone who doesn't know Christ, for them to have faith is not a work that you can do, but it's a work that Jesus will do. And that every time you're sent to go, every time there's a person in need, that Jesus himself is the one who pricks the hearts of people. Jesus himself is the one who's present when you share the word of God. When you share the good news of Christ, what he's done in your life, that Jesus himself is the one taking on that case. That he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so, the great dilemma here is realizing that really there's no there's no such thing as being too far gone. There's no such thing as being too far from Christ. Not for anyone. And it's interesting that we might think that somehow, think about this, somebody having a greater need for Christ, a greater need for salvation in our eyes, right? The worse off they look, ends up being our excuse for not giving them the gospel. Does that make any sense to anybody? The greater need for someone to know Christ becomes our excuse rather than being our motivation to simply speak the word of truth into someone's life. It's crazy. Because God's mercy is unrestrained. Unrestrained. In fact, the last person I think of who thought they were cool enough to restrain God's hand, his name was Nebuchadnezzar. And God warned him not to glorify himself. And one day he walked out, looked over his kingdom, and he said, man, look at this whole kingdom that I've made with my hands. Woo, and that was it, buddy. God gave him the mind of a cow. And the great king Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was out eating grass in the wilderness for seven years. Until at the end of the seven years, he looked up and glorified God and was restored to his throne. And there's actually, there's even a part of the Bible in the book of Daniel written by Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan, formerly a pagan ruler. 
basically saying that God, the God of the Jews, is the living God whose hand is unrestrained. It's amazing. It's amazing, right? So there should be nothing stopping us, nothing stopping us from sharing the gospel with anybody. There should be nothing stopping us from pursuing those who are lost, nothing stopping us from praying for people who are in dire, dire, dire need, right, of Jesus. Because you do not know. I don't care what your theology is. I don't care what you claim to be. You do not know who God will have mercy on and who he will not. You don't know. Right? If you're like me, you're probably surprised that one of them was you. Thank God for that. But you know, 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And yet he's given us a calling much like uh, much like Philip and much like Ananias to simply go to the people that he's put before us and to proclaim his truth to them, right? That when the, when the word of the Lord was given to, to eunuch through the scriptures, he repented and was saved. And when the word of the Lord came directly to Saul from Jesus himself, it penetrated whatever wall of a heart we would have said he had and drew him into the kingdom. And we need to understand that all the power lies with God. All the mercy, all the grace lies with God. And we need to be asking for ourselves and for others that he might have that same mercy on them and sharing the word of God that he might be present in power for them. Amen? Let's pray.